Hi, Anna. Hey, Ben. So uh, we had to uh, to to pre-record this because uh, on uh, on Saturday when we're we're playing it, uh, you are uh, going to be away from your computer, which apparently is possible to be for minutes or hours uh, at, a, uh, at, at a time. I've kind of forgotten what that's like, but you know, it sounds nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's my mom's birthday. Well, it was my mom's birthday on um, Wednesday. So we're going out of town tomorrow immediately after I do weekends, but I'm really happy that I'm at least getting an opportunity to congratulate you on your book. I'm super excited for you. Um, I had the pleasure of reviewing, you know, it's, like a draft of it, obviously. Um, and it was an important book. And I'm sure that you've gotten some grief, um, some criticism from people who I think in some cases have this weird intention <laughs> to, to misrepresent the argument that you're making, but the argument you're making is an important one. Um, and I think it's necessary for the left to, to really consider how damaging it can be when we're going around and like rejecting people for, whatever reason for for whatever cultural issue or rhetoric issue we might have with them um we do need to build a broad coalition and that's something jane mcalevy talks about all the time when it when it comes to organizing you're going to come across all sorts of people you might disagree with but you know if you have class in common um you really do need to be working together to accomplish uh what we need to accomplish yeah, I, I saw actually people uh, got a little mad at her after the uh, the Bessemer stuff, uh, which was which kind of felt like in a in a very different way, a little bit like the same thing that like you know that just sort of being a a bearer of bad news and not just saying like rah rah everything's great you know you should uh, you know you should be happy with how how everything's going is uh, you know is is taken uh, is is taken badly sometimes you know but uh, but it's still uh, but yeah, no, I, I really like that reference. So, uh, so yeah, I, uh, I, I appreciate it. And I really appreciate, uh, appreciate you stopping by and, and that, you know, the, uh, the, the dedication at, uh, at the uh, beginning of, uh, of the book uh, says uh, to, uh, to all, um, where is it? Uh, to all my friends and comrades in left media and organizations like the Democratic Socialists of America, and even in some of the least dismal corners of academia, who are helpful pushing back against the nonsense critiqued in this book, and to create a smarter, funnier, and more strategic version of the left. And so anyway, uh, really yeah. means a lot to me that you've been in that category, and, uh, uh, and thank you again so much. Thank you, Ben. I really appreciate you having me. Hello, friends. I wanted to do a quick shout out to Ben Burgess because I just finished his book, Canceling Comedians While the World Burns. I gotta say, you have to read this book, especially if you are a member of the left because this book is focused on the left and its various, I don't wanna say pathologies, although maybe that's the right word, but definitely bad habits as of late because we all know that our arguments are the correct arguments. We, are, we know that our prescriptions for the problems that face the world are the correct prescri prescriptions. We know that our analysis of capitalism is the correct analysis, yet somehow the rest of the people don't believe us when we tell them that. And that's the key thing that we need to learn how to do as a political movement is to become a mass movement where the majority of people believe the things we do. 
And Ben identifies various issues that the left uh, has that prevent us from being that mass movement. Um, you know, he he talks about the cases of uh, Dave Chappelle and Natalie Wynn, but also uh, deeper uh, analyses of how why we are the way we are and what we need to do to change um, and become a movement that can actually win power and change people's lives for the better, because that is ultimately what our goal is, right? It's not to be a member of some cool club, because let me break it to you, the left ain't that cool. We could be cooler, you know, or at least we have to become that if we want the rest of the people to want to join us. So go out and read Ben Burgess's Canceling Comedians While the World Burns. You won't regret it. It's short. It's fun. He's a very witty writer. He's very gregarious as well. You know, he's, uh, he's both um, thorough but also willing to play devil's advocate um, for the positions that he may uh, disagree with on. And so that gives it a very kind of holistic and comprehensive look. So go out and read Canceling Comedians While the World Burns. You will not regret it. Ben, cheers. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's no uh, Miller High Life, but, you know, it'll work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> mm. oh. <sighs> yeah, can actually, um, you know, we could actually go to the Oberon. Um, uh, you know, we could actually go there uh, this uh, this this summer. We, we've both been vaccinated. Oh, God, yeah, we've got to do that. Yeah, trip to Kalamazoo, get some Bilbo's, yeah. and get a little, uh, little Bells. Yeah, that would, yes. Yes, yeah. let's do that this summer for sure. Yeah, um, Christ, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they don't actually have separate breweries for like the different. Uh, you know, there's like a two hearted brewery and an Obron brewery, and you know, there should be a separate two hearted brewery, but that's that's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for having me on. I can't, yeah, so I can't stay on as long as uh, as Kale no, just nor, did. Nor, um, nor are you expected to. That was a, good. That was a good <laughs> Um, if anyone wants to throw in a really quick uh, super chat and try to get me canceled, um, I'll I'll take one 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 question that attempts right, to cancel. If anyone can take one shot at uh, yeah, humiliating <laughs> himself with the uh, with with his answer on air, but uh, but fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, I just want to say congratulations. Like this is this is great. Um, I think the book, as everyone has been saying so far, this book is. Uh, really important. It, it's really getting at a real pathology that exists um, on the left that we need to, um, you know, if we want to become not just a French thing and really have become a, a major movement that affects change in this country, we've we've got to be a lot smarter about how we deal with this stuff. So, um, yeah, I hope everyone buys this book and reads it and it uh, gets a lot of attention. All right. Um, really appreciate that, Ryan. Um, I know you're you're only getting a very little bit of Ryan Lake now, but uh, but you know you can get some more on uh, Wednesday uh, when uh, he and uh, and Forrest, of course, uh, and uh, uh, and me and uh, and Jennifer Burgess uh, are uh, are all going to be talking about a Clockwork Orange uh, for uh, for the first uh, season two movie stream. So looking forward to we'll, that. We'll see if we can get canceled talking about that movie. <laughs> All right. Which seems uh, very possible. <laughs> fair enough. Thanks, friend. Absolutely. Cheers. Cheers. Hey guys. Sorry, I, I literally was holding on to the thing and it just uh it just toddled. But congratulations, Ben, on your book. Thanks, Danny.
I, I got a drink for the for the occasion. Mm. What are you drinking? Uh, Maker's Mark. It was, oh, one nice. of, it was yeah. what I had, but I should have probably put uh, some uh, some ice in it. But I decided against it in beautiful sunny California, which you can see behind me right here. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually going to be uh, seeing you in beautiful sunny California. Yeah. Yeah. Very soon. Yeah, it'll be fun. It'll, I'm actually seeing our, our mutual friend Megan Day later today. Nice. Yeah. So it'll be it'll be uh, a good time. So how, how's everything going? What are you doing uh, to celebrate the book? Uh, well, uh, well, we're doing this. Uh, you know, mostly uh, going to um, you know going to do going to be uh, be goofy and cliched and you know crack open some champagne with Jen later. But you know we're doing this right now. Nice. Um, and. Uh, which uh, which is actually a uh, double uh, book celebration because, of course, today is the publication day for this, which is what we're talking about. Uh, but uh, Bhaskar Sunkara and Mike Beggs and I just signed a contract uh, for uh, for another book uh, that's uh, not coming out for a very long time, but we just signed the contract uh, from uh, with uh, Verso. Uh, so late to 2022, maybe uh, about um, uh, about feasible socialism what a realistically imaginable uh version of uh of socialism we could actually have uh you know might uh might look like uh which of course uh i, I suppose if there was a place to uh to do some sort of transition back to what we were talking about uh before uh you know before the intermission uh this uh you know this would be it you know because the uh, the possibility for um you know, for, for pitching socialism to people, you know, uh, might be uh, much greater now, you know, because of, uh, because we are so far from, uh, from the cold war. If you, uh, if you did have anything you wanted to add to that conversation. Yeah. I mean, one hopes, uh, one, one hopes, uh, I mean, I guess the big fear is that one doesn't want to be in, you know, the market. Yeah, right. There were two options, either we'd win or we'd lose. Hopefully we're not on the wrong side. Um, yeah, one 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 hopes that the some sort of solidarity will be uh, will be forthcoming <laughs> in the United States and eventually global context. Yeah, um, I hope so. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and, uh, and and I should actually say, you know, people uh, people watching, you know, something I think one of Danny's most interesting takes. Uh, is one that uh, doesn't come, you know, about that Cold War stuff is not one that comes naturally to me because I'm very, like, instinctively averse to um, to anything that sort of smacks of, of cultural explanations for anything. But they, uh, they, do, they do have their place every now and again. And, uh, and it's, it's about the sort of, like, you know, peculiarities of American culture and, and how the, um, the sort of insane ambitions of uh, of the American Empire are are actually relatively unique, you know, among among world powers, and that like a lot of what was going on in the Cold War was just sort of transferring it to the Russians and like attributing to them like our insane delusions of grandeur. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the desire to really dominate the world is a peculiarly American thing, which one, uh, in my uh, you know t uh, opinion, links to sort of the radical foundations of this country. Uh, I mean, obviously this interacts with like material conditions, of course, but like the puritanical, uh, literally in terms of Puritan and Protestant sort of universalistic ethos uh, is really embedded in in this country. And I think that reflects the, um, this, the type of putting on other powers, uh, a motivation similar to uh, the United States's. Uh, 
the, the I mean, it, of course, the American analysis didn't come out of nowhere. Like Marxism, Leninism is theoretically a global project, but I just don't think the Soviet Union was especially, yeah. um, whatever, committed or able or both at various moments to that sort of uh, global uh, domination that the U.S. was. So, uh, yeah, I think that, and I think that's still going on with, for t uh, example today with China. Fair enough. Uh, this is uh, not a natural transition, and also you should not feel any obligation here because you did not uh, uh, volunteer to throw yourself on the sword like Kale did. Uh, but we, uh, but we do have a, a super chat question. If you do feel inclined to uh, take sure. a shot at it, my favorite bad Joe Rogan take. Well, I mean, I think like I was. It's funny. I was actually watching Rogan yesterday, uh, and it was just sort of like. Um, how, how, how would I phrase this? There was like a dismissal of like the, well, the problem is it's not wrong. So Bill Burr was talking about the Chaz, right? Yeah. And he like, give it three days, like, like when they have to get the garbage or something. And like, I didn't yeah. like that easy dismissal. He's not wrong, but I just yeah. don't sort of like easy, you know, look at these dumb yeah. lefty idiots thing because it's not like you know elon musk <laughs> is any more you know sophisticated so yeah i guess that, that sort of like general just like cliche dismissal of of sort of like strange left-wing protest politics which has its problems but i just don't like that easy dismissal that's his worst take in my opinion yeah i, I will say that i that i was uh listening to a lot more rogan uh last summer because um I, you know, cause I would listen to it, uh, when I went for a run, uh, because, um, you know, this is going to sound really insulting to him, you know, like I, I actually, you know, have mixed feelings, you know, about Joe Rogan, but, uh, uh, it's just like a lot easier to listen to when you're like, uh, sweaty and, you know, and, and, and kind of out of it, you know, and, uh, and not like, at, you know, like really like sitting there thinking about it than the most of the lefty podcasts that I listen to, um, and, and and he did have some very bad takes, uh, you know, during the uh, during the post George Floyd unrest. Like I think he he was just like, you know, basically I think he he took a lot of kind of right wing talking points mm -hmm. uh, about riots and stuff much more seriously than uh, than he should have. And I remember that even specifically about Chaz that like, you know, I mean I think there's like a there's there's like a left you know critique to be made of of of, of Chaz. For sure, the idea of doing stuff like that, but also, like I think I think Rogan bought in way too much to some like hysteria about like how it was like being like you know run by some warlord and you know just just all this like all this like really over the top fear mongering that the right was doing about it uh, at the uh, at the time. So I, I, right, I right, right, and it was like Bill Burr was like Joe, what are you what are you afraid of? They're going to get four blocks and five blocks, and then. <laughs> What do you think is going to matter? I mean, and that, that what I thought was the right thing. And then sort of yeah, just that is exactly the right way to push back against that. Uh, yeah. Which, which, yeah, which, which what are you worried about? I mean, which is pretty much, pretty much yeah. uh, um, the, the story of today. And uh, Ben, I got to go in a second, but I think we should toast ourselves for getting January 6th, right. Uh, yeah. Before everyone. <laughs> Uh, and I, I have not heard any apologies from the people who came after. No, us. no, I, I, I sure have not. Um, yeah, all the people who uh, who took as an article of faith that we were um, we were like five minutes away from uh, mass executions and the imposition of fascism, uh, the the end of any pretense of bourgeois democracy on uh, January sixth because 
800 uh, out-of-shape boomer conspiracy theorists uh, were wandering around taking selfies. You mean uh, it wasn't the greatest attack on our democracy yeah. since the Civil War? The Republic almost fell. What can I say? We <laughs> very, came very close to the Republic falling. Yeah, which, which also, yeah, is, is just one of those things. It's like, even before we found out everything we found out since then, that uh, the Brian Sicknick thing was bullshit, uh, that, you know, that, that his, his death had absolutely nothing to do, I mean, maybe the stress, but not in any other sense, right? He certainly wasn't killed in any sense, you know, by, uh, by rioters, uh, that the, uh, the zip tie thing was bullshit, uh, the, uh, that the, the guy who's photographed with the zip tie was a bartender who was there with his mom. He picked up some zip ties that were dropped by a cop and got his, uh, got his picture taken. Uh, those are, you know, uh, the, uh, like every, like every element of this, like, yeah, this is like a dumb right wing riot. Like, yes. It was a riot for sure. Yeah. But, but like, but, but that, that is was... all that it was like, you know, like, like the thing that makes it much worse than stuff like Chaz is that they had a really bad cause because they were, they were, they were right. told all these lies about how the election was stolen. And, and they also just have like really bad gross right wing beliefs. Uh, but it wasn't any, it, there was zero threat. Yeah, zero. To, zero. To regular so, democratic institutions, none whatsoever. Yeah. And yeah, that line from Joe Biden's uh, pseudo State of the Union, whatever that was, that uh, Forrest just quoted uh, about, um, I, I say pseudo State of the Union because I understand for some reason it doesn't count as a according to Hoyle State of the Union. I'm not quite sure how that works, but yeah. uh, uh doesn't matter. Uh, but that line from Biden's State of the Union that Forrest just quoted about how it was the worst attack on uh, democracy since the Civil War. It's like, okay, so you're talking about a one-day riot where, like, you know, some some boomer QAnon freak stormed around, you know, the uh, the Capitol, and and then that was it, uh, and and they didn't even kill anybody. Like, I don't know. I think that that maybe the uh, the ghosts of Cheney, Shermer, and Goodwin, you know, have uh, have have something to say yeah. about whether there are there are worse attacks on democracy in the last yeah. hundred years than that. Absolutely, absolutely. It, it it was just absolutely ridiculous. And of course, like in our memory holes world, everyone just moved on to the next thing. But like, I, I think that we shouldn't forget the absolute hysteria that defined November to March ish, February ish. Yeah, like, especially because it's still possible that we're going to get some like bad new anti terrorism laws over it. Right. So, you know. Anyway, um, really appreciate you uh, stopping by, brother. I will uh, I will see you for real in a couple of weeks. Bye, guys. So I'm in a good spirits, man. I'm in even better spirits, though, being able to hang out with you and celebrate the launch of your new book, brother. Yeah, thank you. Oh, shit. I'm going to uh, – I almost forgot myself here. Uh, there, There is a rule on this channel that uh, you know, wasn't was about to violate. <laughs> um, yeah. Well uh, – Cheers, man. Much appreciated. Thank you. Hmm. <laughs> How does it feel? I mean, um, you know, now that you're rolling in dough, you've made your millions. It's time for you to just, you know, to admit to everybody that you have left the left. Yeah, uh, that's right. That's your true. big cash out on the <laughs> way out, and now you're going to be joining our friends uh, Prager and yep, uh, right. Adam Carolla on their next uh, cancel culture documentary. Yeah, yeah, and no, I'm I'm excited about working with David and Adam. Uh, you know, they're, they're great guys. Uh, I, I think um, I think David in particular, like like I just I, I just enjoy him because because Dave Rubin. I think the the single biggest thing you would need to say about him is that he's like really intellectually stimulating company. I mean, like you mm -hmm. know, there's just a, a like there's just a barrage 
of like of of, of insight there. Uh, you know, like that that's just a mind that never stops working. Well, in a world when you know everything is seeming like it's more and more about buzzwords and figuring out what team that you're on, it's very exciting to see somebody who is willing to just sit down with folks and have conversations about ideas. Yeah, high level, uh, high level <laughs> ones is uh, for sure too. Um, but honestly, man, in all seriousness, I'm very, I'm very, very thrilled uh, that this book is out. Uh, we talked to Ben on Left Reckoning on on Thursday, and you've been all around telling people about this book. But it's a really great one, and y'all should definitely uh, pick it up if you haven't already. Yeah, uh, I really appreciate that. I, I really, uh, I really enjoyed that conversation, and also I should say, not just the. Um, not just the conversation about the book, uh, but I I, I, uh, I ended up coming back on and on the post game and, and, and uh, shocked shit about Cuba and other subjects for like well over an hour and uh, and that was fun too. No, it definitely was. I mean, I yeah, we really needed it too. Um, I mean, I love hanging out with hanging out with Matt, but it's nice to sort of spice it up a little bit too. Um, yeah. Well, and, and I mean, have you on there like you know the good old days. No, exactly. I was going to say. I mean, you know, used to uh, used to. Uh, see you guys every single week you know so uh, um so yeah that was uh that was good but um uh and of course uh we like uh also you know so we're seeing uh, you here uh here uh every week for a while but uh uh but but you actually uh you know you you made your long thread in return to texas uh <laughs> and you actually have a life outside of the apartment and staring at the computer now it's actually it's it's pretty nice I have big plans for today, but almost all of Austin right now is underwater. We've had a pretty intense like uh, rainstorm, so I've been out, you know, dealing with that. But yeah, no, a little bit more responsibilities. I got, I got a bunch of koi's. I have a big koi pond in my backyard now that I have to take care of and uh, and, and garden and things like that. <laughs> nice. A lot, yeah, a lot more expansive of a life than than in Brooklyn, especially during the pandemic when you're just sort of watching the world uh, <laughs> move yeah. around you. <laughs> yeah fair enough um yeah no i, I really um you know but anyway it, it is always really good to see you and we um uh and, and and we do need to uh you know uh even though i am actually happy that uh happy that you're you're not living the uh, life you were in pandemic brooklyn uh, <laughs> we, do, we do need to arrange a uh a way to uh, semi-regularly talk to you about country music again because that was a lot of fun. No, um, absolutely, man. I've been actually um, doing these deep dives into Billy uh, Joe Shaver. Uh, I don't know if you remember when we covered him on uh, mm-hmm. on GTAA, uh, but that the videos you can see on YouTube of him performing are just something else. Um, he's really uh, like not only is his music good and his lyrics are um, fun, but he's such a performer. And as somebody who spends a lot of time in front of the camera right now, I'm trying to pick up some of those like <laughs> little shaky mannerisms and things like that. Yeah, so definitely would be happy to do a deep dive on Billy Joe Shaver sometime in the future. Yeah, let's do that for sure. Uh, thank you, Andre, for the uh, super chat. Uh, yeah, I think so eventually, but uh, I, I just don't even want to tempt fate by making a speculation about the timeline. Uh, this, this stuff happens uh, incredibly slowly. Uh, and um, I mean, you know, people... Um, 
I mean, I know, look, lots of people are frustrated because like this book that came out today, uh, I, I've been promoting for approximately the last 20 years. Uh, <laughs> you know, publishing takes a long ass time, you know, is the uh, is the point. Um, there's a there's a bit in the book where you talk about the Trump administration. I know. You're like out of fear, it's the Trump administration is going to do something. It's like, oh, man, I forgot that that was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember when Donald Trump was president? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, on audiobook stuff, um, y'all also need to like pick up the Matlex system. I don't know if you've ever shown this to you before, Brand. Are you familiar with this? Oh, the the sped up audiobooks. No, he it, the sped up stuff is one thing, but he uses this computer voice. Uh, he has this like text to speech software. So every book is an audiobook for Matt, um, but it's read to him in this like you know horrible like you know computer voice like. Um, I can't do a good impersonation, but you know, I'm talking about like that old school computer, like readout. And he, he, that's like how he does most of his reading these days. So if you need the audio book, um, you know, it's already there. Uh, just hit up Matt for the Matt Leck uh, high level idea system. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. Looking, uh, you know, looking forward to that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, I guess, um, you know, I guess like when I when I go on the Prager U tour, uh, you know, I, I probably won't see you anymore because like I'll be I'll be too afraid that if uh, <laughs> that if I if I'm around any leftists, they're gonna like you know uh, ask what I'm gonna debate Sam Cedar or something, and you know, and, and I'm not gonna want any part of that, you know, during that part of my life. Uh, but uh, it's been it fun, is, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's been a blast. It's uh, uh, it's been an honor. Uh, but no, um, yeah, thank you so much. This 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 wouldn't have felt right without you in it. So. Uh, Thank you. Of course, man. Cheers. And congratulations again. You know, if you're going to do a book launch, uh, you know, which uh, in person or otherwise, you know, you got to do a reading uh, as, uh, as as part of the book launch. So, uh, so, so there it is. Uh, so uh, this is going to be from, uh, from chapter two, scenes from a DSA convention. Uh, going to uh, read just a few pages of this uh, and then, you know, maybe take some, uh, you know, some more questions. Uh, if anybody, uh, if anybody has any, any, you know, any last uh, super chats uh, asking us cancellation worthy questions, you know, to, uh, to throw out, you know, before we, uh, before we finish, but otherwise this will be kind of the last, uh, the last chunk of the stream. So the democratic socialists of America held their national convention in Atlanta in August, 2019. The day after the convention ended, Tucker Carlson played carefully selected clips from the proceedings on Fox News in order to portray the organization in the worst possible light. In 2015, DSA had a few hundred members. The most recent figure I've seen in 2020 uh, was 70,000. During this period of explosive growth, DSA has played an outsized role in promoting the two presidential campaigns of Bernie Sanders and putting Medicare for all at the center of the national political conversation. Its chapters have organized break light, clinic, break light clinics in which DSA members volunteer to swap the uh, burnt-out brake lights, lights of uh, passing drivers in order to minimize their interactions with the police. Uh, it's become fashionable in some quarters of the left to mock this activity, but I love it. Such clinics amount to a useful form of uh, street theater uh, that... Uh, uh, that uh, builds goodwill in local communities, makes an understated but deadly serious point about the imbalance of power between ordinary working class people and increasingly militarized police forces, uh, and may actually save a life or two in the process. The left could use more of that kind of creativity, not less. DSA members have also walked picket lines with striking workers, organized tenants to fight the power of landlords, 
helped undocumented workers resist deportation and generally been present and accounted for um, everywhere that people are fighting for various kinds of social change that make the society around us at least slightly fairer and more equal. At the same time, instead of being content with such reforms, they've helped um, to revive long dormant big ideas about how we could change our whole economic system to get at the root of many of these problems. So yeah, the DSA, I'm a fan, but nothing I saw in Tucker's clips surprised me. The first thing his viewers got to see was the speaker laying out a list of rules ranging from, quote, no strong sense in the chill out room, unquote, to a requirement that delegates, very few of whom, needless to say, were either deaf or fluent in American Sign Language, use ASL applause, i.e. wiggling their fingers, instead of actual applause, in order to accommodate anyone in the room who may have uh, some uh, extremely rare conditions, uh, making them essentially especially sensitive to loud noises. Uh, the next clip features a delegate from California who starts out with, hey guys, and launches into an angry lecture, haranguing the 1,500 or so delegates about the problems posed to the noise sensitive by, quote, whispering in crosstalk, unquote. Not to be outdone, an even angrier voice rings out from the crowd, scolding the comrade from California for using gendered language, guys. Tucker has more clips ready and more snickering to do. That he's cherry-picked a few minutes spread throughout a long weekend goes without saying. Tucker Carlson is a toxic propagandist whose specialty is promoting the agenda of the anti-immigrant right by portraying the left as indifferent to the concerns of the American working class. Uh, he could have shown his viewers a few minutes of the fiery speech delivered to the convention by Cecily uh, Miart Cruz, uh, the vice president of the United Teachers Los Angeles, who just helped lead 30,000 teachers out on strike for better pay and smaller class sizes with overwhelming support from the larger community. Or he could have thrown in a clip or two of delegates voting on a set of priorities for the next two years that included not only mobilizing for Bernie Sanders and continuing the campaign for Medicare for All, but starting major new pushes on housing and childcare for a Green New Deal that could create millions of well-paid public sector jobs and help save the planet in the process. If Tucker had shown any of that, it would have ruined his narrative, so he didn't. But that's to be expected. You might as well get angry at a spider for building a web. What I find incomprehensible is the behavior of the people in the clips he did want to show. He didn't get this footage by sending spies into the convention with hidden cameras. The DSA itself was streaming it. Everyone knew this and everyone seemed to think we're building the kind of movement where no one is allowed to make a loud noise was a good face to present to the world. Uh, to anticipate a tedious but inevitable straw man, no one thinks accommodating the disabled is a bad thing. That's not the issue. You can engage in a reasonable level of accommodation informed by advice from qualified medical professionals without turning the dial up to 11 and acting as if there are no competing goals to weigh against the benefits of maximalist accommodation. The problem isn't even just that it was painfully obvious that none of the people we saw in the clips or any of the off-screen organizers who went, around, who went along with bizarre rules like no clapping, so much as paused to consider how all of this would look to any viewers who weren't immersed in the subculture of the left. That's certainly part of the problem, but there's a deeper issue. What Tucker's clip so perfectly captured was an unmistakable tone of scolding one-upsmanship. One it was a race to see who could go the furthest in the direction of finding ways to prove their own moral virtue by finding ways to object to the utterly unremarkable behavior of their assembled comrades. 
this reeks of an IRL uh, in real life version of the pathology of left Twitter so memorably critiqued from the left in left-wing British cultural critic Mark Fisher's classic 2013 essay, Exiting the Vampire Castle. Um, Fisher writes, The Vampire's Castle specializes in propagating guilt. It is driven by a priest's desire to excommunicate and condemn, an academic pedant's desire to be the first to be seen to spot a mistake, and a hipster's desire to be one of the in-crowd. If you've logged any serious amount of time in left spaces and you don't recognize anything you've seen in Fisher's essay, I envy you. I make no claims here about how widespread any of the attitudes or practices I'm critiquing may be. If fewer people are trapped in the vampire castle than I imagine, that's wonderful. But we should still work to free those few, especially considering that they're often the loudest and most visible representatives of our movement. If we want to get to the point where we could hope to win over a massive majority of the population to socialism, fighting the vampire castle is a strategic imperative. As Fisher says, the VC doesn't know how to make converts, but that, after all, is not the point. Instead, leftists who are in the grips of this way of doing things often treat the left like a clubhouse that needs to be guarded uh, to make sure that no one who doesn't hold all the correct positions and know all the correct ways of speaking and acting gets to step inside. Uh, You can't act that way and become a movement of and not just for the working class majority of society. One of the oddest reactions I've gotten uh, when I've told people that I was writing a book called Canceling Comedians While the World Burns is, why do you think idiots yelling at comedians is important enough to write a book about? Or is cancel culture that big a deal? Don't you have higher political priorities? The answer is yes, and that's the point. When outraged Romans charged Nero with fiddling while Rome burned, they weren't saying that the annoying way the emperor played his fiddle was more important than the fact that Rome was burning. They were saying that him playing the fiddle instead of doing something about the fire was a problem. But at least his fiddling wasn't making the fire worse. That's where the analogy breaks down. Even if you only spend a few minutes a day tweeting toxic bile at the problematic, and you devote a dozen hours a week to your DSA chapter's labor organizing working group, those few minutes a day contribute to giving outside observers a deeply unappetizing impression of the left. The larger subject of which canceling comedians is a representative example is a cluster of left pathologies that include everything from the revival of tanky attitudes, i.e. knee-jerk apologism for every authoritarian regime that makes use of socialist rhetoric and symbolism, to hysteria about minor political differences within the left, to the bad habit of framing disparities between different groups primarily in terms of introspective psychodrama about unearned privilege, as if the absence of oppression were something that had to be earned. There are good arguments against all of these things in principle. What I'm most concerned with is to show in what follows, though, is that they're all symptoms of the failure of the contemporary left to think strategically instead of turning politics into a moral performance. In other words, I'm interested in convincing my friends and comrades to stop acting this way because I don't want us to lose. This is not an I'm a leftist butt book. While I don't necessarily think the most fire-breathingly radical slogans that any element of the left puts forward on any given issue are always especially helpful, uh, you're not going to find any particularly heterodox uh, policy positions here. Uh, My attitude is well represented by one of my favorite quotes from Christopher Hitchens. It comes from Blunt Instruments, the essay that Hitch wrote in uh, the mid-1980s 
i.e. about two and a half decades before his own post 9-11 turn to the dark side. Uh, Hitchens writes, I have never been able, except in my lazier moments, to employ the word predictable as a term of abuse, nor has the expression knee-jerk ever struck me as a witty way of denigrating a set of strongly held convictions. Speaking purely for myself, I would be alarmed if my knee failed to respond to certain stimuli. It would warn me of a loss of nerve. I have written in the past year about the MX missile, constructive engagement, the confirmation of Edwin Meese, and other uh, grand uh, Gignola episodes. Naturally, I hope that my arguments were original, but I would be depressed to think that anyone who knew me or my stuff could not have easily predicted the line I would take. In the charmed circle of neoliberal and neoconservative journalism, however, unpredictability is the special emblem and certificate of self-congratulation. To be able to bray that as a liberal, I say bomb the shit out of them uh, is to have achieved that eye-catching versatile marketability that is so beloved by editors and talk show hosts. As a lifelong socialist, I say don't let's bomb the shit out of them. See what I mean? It lacks the sex appeal somehow. Predictable as hell. Our end of Hitchens quote. I'm fully committed to the full range of predictable as hell leftist goals, from guaranteeing free abortion on demand as part of a comprehensive system of single-payer national health insurance to stopping America's endless wars in the Middle East to working towards the replacement of the existing economic order with some sort of democratic socialist alternative that treats workers not as tools for moving packages around Jeff Bezos's warehouses, but as human beings with a right to a far greater level of control over their lives, both on and off the job. I'm writing this book because I care about the same goals as the people I'm critiquing, and I believe that their way of doing things is often deeply counterproductive. All right, uh, I think I'm going to leave it off there uh, for uh, for this little reading. Okay.